Welcome to the Outsiders Podcast, episode four. Hard to believe it's already episode our fourth. Four. Yeah. My name is Neil Salen. I am here with my brother, co-pastor. Used to be in my youth group. Now he is co-pastoring with me, Tyler, aka Redeem France. What's up, brother? What's happening? We are the Outsiders. Uh, because first and foremost, we are outsiders from society because we are a part of the kingdom of God and do not fit into the worldly system that has been created by fallen man. We are outsiders from politics because we do not fit into either Republican or Democratic platforms and philosophies and the way that things are done. And that's going to become more and more evident the closer we get to November. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Because we're we're in the midst of it, the Democratic National Convention. And we will uh, address that. It's happening this week. Yeah, yeah. While we are recording this. Outsiders from the American Evangelical Movement because mm-hmm. we... We do not see ourselves fitting in with that either. So right. often that becomes an us versus them kind of attitude and mentality and, and even philosophy. We just do not go with that as it is currently constructed. Um, if there is another name that people can come up with that Christians can fit into, uh, I'm, I'm all for <laughs> coming up with a new name for yeah, that. Yeah. And we are outsiders from the African-American community because... This is episode four, Tyler. And we are still not black. We're still not black. And even though we have walked hand in hand with our brothers and sisters of the African-American community, there are things we cannot say that we have experienced or been a part of. So we are outsiders in that sense. Not because they've ostracized us or pushed us away or anything like that. Right. Simply because we... Um, are on the outside looking in at some of these issues because we don't have personal experience with them. They've never happened to us because we're not black. So if you're wondering why there's two white guys that are talking about these issues. Two white guys. It is because we want to educate our fellow white people and be an advocate and defender of black lives. Uh, We know that that's important. We know that they are worthy of dignity and equality. Mm -hmm. And uh, you may not agree with everything that you hear, no, well, they will not agree yeah. with everything. You will not agree with everything. <laughs> you, can take that may. you can take that may. Especially in may. these later ones. Right now, we're just kind of hitting history. And by the way, this is going to be the last uh, to that series. But um, You can take that may out. You <laughs> will disagree with stuff. There's no doubt about it. And we welcome that. Again, yeah. we welcome that. Please email us. Talk to us. If you disagree or think that we are out of line in some way, we are not above that. So please let us know. Yeah, and if you want to learn, um, if you want to yeah. engage with us, we're here yeah. for it. And yeah. it's already been happening, which has been really encouraging. It has. It has. And that actually leads to the heart check, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'll go first this time. I'm I'm just grateful to be here, man. So mm-hmm. um, though preparing for these type of conversations can take a lot out of you, yeah. it's really rewarding. Mm-hmm. And it's hard work, but it's worthwhile. And I'm honestly grateful to be a part of it. Uh, to our listeners who have contacted us personally, whether that's through email, text messages, social media, I've actually been surprised that you know the responses that we have had. Mm-hmm. I've not gotten a ton of backlash. I don't know about you, Neil. Yeah. No, I, I haven't. I mean, there's just been some really good discussions, even when people haven't seen it eye to eye with me. It right. hasn't been necessarily backlash. It's right. just been, hey, let's talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. And like I said, it will come. We know we're not sure. We're not ignorant to that. But 
right now I've just received messages from people who are seeing blind spots for the first time and, and they're changing their minds. Uh, people from high school that I haven't talked to in a long time. And they're like, Hey man, I heard your podcast. And, um, so, you know, repenting of certain ideas that were ingrained in them and they really didn't have any idea right that that was why we call them blind spots that's why they call it blind (laughs) spots absolutely so um that that's man i've just been encouraged it's kind of a different different heart check from last time yeah yeah i think for me it is always encouraging when you get messages and feedback that people are appreciating what you're doing and they are appreciating you know how you're doing it and why you're doing it and they're learning stuff gi joe said knowing is half the battle so you know (laughs) i've held to that since i was a little kid we had a lot and there there is a lot of truth to that is knowledge is power because you you know then you could act upon that and so that it is always encouraging when you get the the backlash i think one thing that we're going to have to guard our hearts, you know, we're letting you guys in just on how me and Tyler discuss guarding ourselves. <laughs> One thing that we're going to have to fight against, Tyler, is not to take any negative that we do get at some point, mm-hmm. um, which we've already see- received some of that, but um, yeah. and not focus on that rather than all the encouraging. And I think human beings are kind of that way in general. It's like, okay, well, a thousand people can tell you did a great job, and if two said you didn't, we tend to focus on the two that say you didn't. And Mm -hmm. so there can be so much encouragement that happens. And And the people pleaser in us. Yeah, and we start focusing on the the stuff Mm -hmm. that people disagree, and our pride rises up, and we're like, how can they disagree with us? And, And so, you know, I always want when we're, when we're doing this heart check thinking, you know, to always remember that we are not in charge of changing people's hearts and minds. It's Mm -hmm. not our job. Right. Our job is to simply first and foremost, share Jesus. Right. And, and then share what God has done in our hearts and what we think needs to happen in regard to this and, and leave the changing to, to God. And um, that's really going to help lead into our theological segment that we're going to have today because it is all about change. So for our theological segment, we want to address change. Right. Biblical change. Yep. Neil and I desire this podcast to be a catalyst and resource Mm -hmm. for change. But in order for that change to happen properly, we need to understand what the Bible says about change. Right. So again, to our non-believing listeners, quick disclaimer, we are always going to come at these topics from our biblical worldview. Always. Always. So what you will see from us often is that we will agree with you on certain ideas, whether it's politically, historically, socially, morally, mm-hmm. uh, but there will be certain stances you will hold fast to that we as Christians just can't get there. Right. With yeah. the Holy Spirit's conviction, we cannot agree with it. Right. And and that's you know the reason that we are the Outsiders Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, not left, not right. We love America, but our allegiance is to Jesus first right. and foremost. Absolutely. And that's the way we do this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think worldviews are so vastly important. I mean, when, yeah. when people think about any given topic, they are coming to that topic with already preconceived 
ideas and worldviews that they are laying on top of the topic. Mm. And everybody does it. Yeah. And we are no different. We are willingly upfront being honest with you. Right. We have a, a biblical worldview and we're laying the biblical worldview on top of any topic we discuss. Right. Especially when it comes to race and justice. Yep. Absolutely. And there, there's no way around it. And so here's, here's how I think we ought to go about talking about biblical change a little bit. I, I want us to look at three aspects of our lives. Mm. We have our hearts, we have our minds, and we have our actions. And I, I want to talk about all three of those in regards to change because I think the Bible deals with all three of those. Now, the goal yeah. of anyone's walk of life is to have their actions and behaviors be proper. Mm. And, and that that's true for Christians and non-Christians. Absolutely. I mean, even, even the mistakes that that Christians make, mm-hmm. they're making, but they their their goal was to live proper, they failed. Yeah. And, and even lost people, mm-hmm. they they have their own view right. of what they think is proper, right. their own view of what they think is good, and then they're trying to live up to that. There are tons of moral lost people. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, I have never held to the view that if you're an atheist mm-hmm. or if you're a non-Christian, you can't be a moral person. Right. Of course you can. You're an image bearer of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so you know that you're trying to do that. And as, as Christians, mm-hmm. we are motivated by a a belief that we are to walk as true believers in Jesus Christ differently than the world. The world. Right. And and we're to live differently than the passions that our flesh has. Mm -hmm. Here's just a a few passages of scriptures that I think are are important to kind of wrap around or engage with this idea of of the works of the flesh and trying to live differently. So Galatians chapter five, verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's interesting about that passage is some of those things are what we can what so many Christians look at and say, those are small sins. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like jealousy. Yeah. If your life is identified with jealousy, then you need to question right. whether or not you're in the kingdom of God. Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Mm. Do not be conceived, neither sexually immoral, idolatry, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Titus 2, 11-14, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness, Mm and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So just in these verses, you can see from a biblical worldview, there is a proper way for human beings to, to live. live. Yeah, And there's an improper way Absolutely. for human beings to live. And this standard, which applies to all human beings, mm-hmm. this standard is expected and even demanded mm. to be followed 
by be, everyone. By everyone. Because yeah. we are all image bearers of God and mm-hmm. God is the standard, mm-hmm. then we are all expected and demanded to live up to that. But here is the truth. Mm-hmm. There is no way any human being can have proper behavior unless their heart and mind is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. No human being right. can have proper behavior mm-hmm. consistent consistent yeah proper behavior right unless their heart and mind are where it needs to be in other words right, let's talk about it if you have if all you have is the attempt at right behavior mm-hmm. without the mind and the heart being right you'll never get consistent proper behavior right you may act proper proper in one sense and mm-hmm. act proper but it'll never be a consistent right you know um behavioral walk. Right. So here is a little biblical math. <laughs> All right. A sinful heart plus wrong thinking equals wrong behavior. So if you have a sinful heart and you're not thinking rightly about things, you're going to get wrong behavior. Right. Now from a non-Christian point of view, as we just said, you can act rightly. Mm-hmm. You can be moral if you're a non-Christian. Right. Uh, I don't think you can be consistently moral, right. but you can be moral if you're a non-Christian, and you can have right thinking in certain areas if you're right. if you're not a Christian. You yeah. you can look at uh, what happened to George Floyd, and you don't have to be a Christian to say that's wrong, that's murder, that's right. unjust. Like they're thinking rightly about that. Right. So so here's another equation: sinful heart. Mm. Plus right thinking will equal wrong. inconsistent wrong behavior. Mm. So you may get some things right, but you can't have a consistent moral behavior right. if you have a sinful heart. The two go hand in hand. Thinking and the heart go hand in they hand. They go hand in hand. And yeah. so if, if you are a non-believer and you're not thinking rightly about things, you're going to get wrong behavior. Mm. If you're a non-believer and you have a sinful heart and you're thinking rightly about some stuff, yeah. but if that heart's not right, then even that, the way that it's going to flow out is going to be inconsistent. Let me let me give you an example of that. Yeah. So um, if, if someone sees an injustice that is going on and a lost person who doesn't have a new heart um, sees an injustice properly is thinking Mm -hmm. that's an injustice that needs to be fixed that's wrong Mm -hmm. if they in anger in malice in um in vengeance Mm. if they then perpetrate injustice to other people trying to right that justice that other injustice well now you get wrong behavior right so they're they're thinking rightly this is wrong behavior this is injustice we want to correct this but because there's a sinful heart they then go about correcting that injustice in a wrong way right and i and i think we are seeing that happen even now oh yeah um in our world as race relations are are bubbling over there's so many people who are recognizing and rightly thinking right but because there hasn't been a heart change, their solutions right. will not be correct. Right. So let me sum up once again. Sinful heart mm. plus wrong thinking equals inconsistent wrong behavior. Sinful heart plus right thinking 
still equals inconsistent wrong behavior. behavior. Yeah. So we need a heart change. Yeah. We need a heart change. Let me just tell you what the Bible says about man's heart. Man's sinful heart, Genesis 6, 5. Oh, yeah. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. continually. Which means even a sinful person's good intention is good. It's not mixed with glorifying Jesus. Right. It's viewed as evil. Yeah. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Man. Desperately wicked. Mm-hmm. Who can know it? Mark 7, 20 through 23. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Mm. So the heart of man is a problem. Yeah. The heart of man is a problem. Yeah, which you just read describes the heart of man. Right. And, and the remedy... The natural heart that, of man without Jesus. Right. And the remedy for that is being regenerated. Yeah. Right? A new heart and being regenerated. Yeah, being born again, as, exactly. as we often call it. Born again. So Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28 says... For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. That's key right there. Yeah. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Right. So if he we, changes your heart, yes, and it's over. And if we if we want right behavior, right, and we want right thinking, mm-hmm. we have to start with heart change. Yep. And no amount of right thinking and right behavior changes somebody's heart. And I can't change my heart. No. That's, I, I'm and, not able to change my heart. Yeah, and that's what I mean by saying you go out and try to be as moral as you can. You right. go out and try to think as properly as you can. Right. That doesn't change your heart. Yeah. You don't have the ability to change your heart. God right. has to do something to you. Yeah. God has to change it. And I love, I love what Ezekiel is saying. And Ezekiel's talking about what Jesus is going to do. Right. Right. I mean, so this is hundreds of years before Ezekiel saying, "Here's what Jesus. Here's what the Messiah is going to do." Here's what God's going to do when Jesus comes. Mm. He says, I'm going to take out your stony heart, that heart that is of stone and not sensitive to the things of God. And I'm going to put a heart in you that's sensitive to the things of God. I'm going to put a heart in you that desires things that Jesus desires. And I'm going to put my spirit in you Mm. that now moves in that heart to cause you to walk in proper behavior. Causes you to walk as God would have you walk. And so that has to happen first. The New Testament goes on to talk about it. The Apostle John, Jesus' best friend, goes on to say in his letters that being born of God, being born again, is the reason why we have faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why we love others. And it's the reason why we practice righteousness. So Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't get to be a part of the kingdom of God without a new heart. You have to. 
And no amount of right thinking, no amount of uh, attempting to have proper behavior gets you in the kingdom of God. It is only through that spiritual heart transplant that God does that gets you into the kingdom of God. Now, we're we're still with our biblical math, right? We've got heart, we've got mind, we've Mm -hmm. got behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, we've solved the heart problem. The heart problem is solved by God giving us new hearts. Yep. Okay, by God saving us by his grace, by God giving us faith, love for others, love for himself, that that is what God does to us. Right. But just because you have a new heart, just because you are quote unquote a Christian does not mean you will have behavior that is right in any given situation. Yeah. So here's another biblical math equation. (laughs) New heart plus wrong thinking. Mm -hmm. Equals wrong behavior. Right. So you can have a new heart, but if you're not thinking right, you still get wrong behavior. And that's why scripture constantly talks about that. It constantly talks about renewing your mind. Yes. The Bible constantly in the New Testament. It's interesting because in the New Testament, you don't hear a lot of heart talk. Right. Other than getting saved. Yeah. You hear a lot of mind talk. Yeah. Because the, the apostles and the writers of the New Testament know God can give you a new heart, but if you're not thinking rightly about things, then you're not going to live rightly, even if you have a new heart. So, Romans chapter 12. Great point. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things of the kingdom, not things of the world. Philippians 2.8. Whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Yeah. Ephesians think 4. On these think about them. Think about these things. Yeah. Ephesians 4. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through your, your deceitful desires, and to be renewed by the spirit of, of your, your mind. Mind. Yep. Yep. All right. So here's all the biblical math that doesn't work. All right. The biblical math that doesn't work. Sinful heart, wrong thinking, Mm. wrong behavior. Yeah. That doesn't work. Right. Here's another one that doesn't work. Sinful heart, right thinking. You still get inconsistent. Yeah. Proper behavior. Yeah. New heart plus wrong thinking equals inconsistent proper behavior. Mm -hmm. The only way we get proper behavior is a new heart and right thinking. Right thinking, that's what equals right behavior. Right. And you have to have, if we are going to act appropriately, consistently, consistently in our lives, mm-hmm. we got to have a new heart by the power and grace of God. Right. We got to have right thinking, mm-hmm. right, which comes by the Spirit of God. And that is what will equal right behavior. Right. That's the biblical equation for right behavior. Yeah. And now all of this means change. Right. <laughs> right. And if and you don't have if you don't have a right heart, that needs to be changed. If you don't have right thinking, that needs to be changed. And if you don't have right behavior, that needs to be changed. Right. And and none of this is easy. Change is hard, man. None of this is easy. Change uh, is hard. I'm James Baldwin, he wrote, any real change, I love this, any real change implies the breakup of the world as one has always known it, the loss of all that gave one an identity, mm. the end of safety. Right. 
So this is why it's hard. It, it's because it literally rocks your world. It gives you a yeah. new identity and makes you feel unsafe. Yeah, let's. I want. I want to talk. I want to kind of break down that quote for a minute. Let's do it. All truth is God's truth, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know the ultimate condition of James Baldwin's relationship with Jesus, right? But I know this quote is true. Yeah. When, when someone needs to change. What makes it so hard is that you've been living a certain way that you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're good because right. this is the way I've been thinking. This is the way I've been living and I'm good to go. I'm comfortable in this space. I'm comfortable in this place. Yeah. What change does is change breaks up that world. Yeah. That comfort level that you had right. begins to get rocked underneath you. That foundation begins to get shaken. And that comfort is a lot of times we put our identity in that. that, that we put so many different stock, right, so right. much stock in those things. Yeah, and that's why I think the quote, he nails it when he says, it's the loss of what gave one an identity. Right. If, if, if your identity is wrapped up in how just how you've been living, the comfort of your living, and then all of a sudden someone comes and says, hey... You're not thinking rightly about this. This needs to change. We want to push back on that because that means, well, what about my identity? Right. And that's where the end of safety comes. Right. Because now you're going to have to step into a new world. Yeah. You've got to step into a place that you've never stepped before. And there's also this idea that, that okay, if I'm wrong about this, then what else am I wrong about? Right. In the right. same area, and it's just this trickling effect. So yeah. it is, it does rock your world. It takes you, yeah. It home. makes you feel unsafe. Right. It makes you feel like I'm going to a place that is unsafe for me. Right. And so our pride rises up, and mm-hmm. and our fear rises up, and says, "Man, I don't want to change because this is going to break my world up. This is going to make me feel unsafe. This is what about my identity?" And, and so everything that you thought you knew, all the, the givens that you thought you had, right. all of a sudden now you're like, oh man, yeah. what, what do I do with those? Yeah. And so we, we want to push away from change. Yeah. And, and as we'll see in the next segment, that's exactly what the church did. It's exactly what the church did. And, and instead of fighting against what was difficult, right. And saying, yes, this is difficult because this is changing my worldview. This is changing my identity. This is changing my, my, my comfort level. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm stepping into an unsafe place right. out there. Instead, what they did, especially in this regard to race, is they said, that's too difficult and I'm not willing to go there. Right. All right, now we are going to finish up our historical segment. We've been doing this for three podcasts now, and what we're going to do is we're going to move from the World War era, 1917, mm-hmm. uh, through the Civil Rights era, yeah. and we, we want to kind of discuss how the church, what was going on at the time, and then how was the church conducting itself. Now, prior to the World Wars, 90% of all African Americans lived in the South, and 80% lived in the rural South. Right. So we did not have, for the, the vast majority of African Americans, mm-hmm. we did not have African Americans living in the cities. Right. They were in the country. Yep. And what began to happen is during this era, 1917 to 1950, we have what was called the Great Migration. So 
as we talked about all the horrors that were going on yeah. in in the South, yeah. you can imagine that for black people, getting out of the South was an imperative. Right. Like, we've oh, got absolutely. to get out of the South. And so there was this massive movement of black people from the South, rural South, to the cities, mm-hmm. uh, especially those in the North and the Midwest. And and so the re and the reason for that is because jobs became available. Right. So as the world and factories and things yeah, like because that. as the world wars started, they the U.S. government stopped immigration, and so because immigration stopped, now factories needed workers, mm-hmm. and so blacks moved to the cities mm-hmm. to work in the factories. They yeah. were given jobs in the factories, and they got to work there, and so. For the very first time, this is just crazy to think about, yeah. but in this World War I era, for the very first time, white city dwellers, including evangelicals, came in close contact with African Americans in great numbers. Wow. That, that had never happened before yeah. in cities. Yeah. The cities were white. Mm. The, the rural South was black. Yeah. The cities were white. Now, all of a sudden, you have this massive migration of African-Americans into the cities and white people for the very they, first they time. They didn't like that. Well, no, they <laughs> did not like that. In fact, that that was what caused so much of the the vitriol and the the anger and the violence to come out yeah. um, in, our, in our cities. So black people move into the cities. They get factory jobs. Mm-hmm. White Americans in the cities do not react well at all. Hmm. In fact, let me just give you, we'll talk about a few examples of what happened, but here, here's yeah. one that is shocking. In Chicago alone, all right, all these black people moved to Chicago, right. started working in factories, white people encountering them. Between 1917 and 1921, one black home in Chicago was bombed every 20 days. Man, dude, think about that. Like, think about the horror of black families wondering if they're next. Right. You, and, and again, it was, I mean, this could be your friends. Yeah. This could be your neighbors. Um, and all of this was happening, being perpetrated against black people because they went to the cities to get jobs. Because they want to keep their way of life. White people want to keep they want their to way of life. Their way of life. And so they are, they're bombing black homes Every 20 days. I, I just, I can't imagine yeah. that horror and yeah. that terror. Like that is, that's terrorism. Right. And, and again, were all whites doing this? No, no. no. Um, but this is what whites and white supremacy led to. Right. And a lot of, even though not all whites were doing it, a lot of whites also were not doing anything about it. Yeah. They were complicit in it. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and imagine Wanting to preserve your way of life so bad yeah. that you were willing to bomb people's homes. Yeah. Uh, of course, while all this is going, lynchings are still oh, continuing. Of course. Uh, all other kinds of violence is continuing. Uh, one thing that, that struck me as I was studying this that just broke my heart is uh, African Americans were going off to war in World War I to, to fight for our country, to mm-hmm. fight for the country's freedom. Well, what happened is, is that they got very motivated to come back home and fight for freedom. Mm. They got motivated. They, they had their, their, their hearts set aflame to come back and be like, listen, we're, we got to be free here. 
And so because these soldiers came back emboldened to fight for their rights, um, we got to keep them in line too. And there are actually reports, documented reports of black servicemen being lynched in uniform, being murdered and lynched in uniform. Again, why? To keep African-Americans in line, to keep them in their own location, to keep them in their own, to keep them in their place, but place both physically Mm. and in society. Right. Um, So violence bombings, lynching, and other types of violence is being perpetrated on the black community. And, and another thing that happened is as African Americans came to the city, while all the, the violence was going on, white people began to move out of the city to keep segregation going on. The white flight. So <laughs> why, why segregation was so important to these people that they were, they were going to move out of the city. Mm-hmm. We're going to get out of here. Um, all of this is happening at the same time, right. right? So you've got 1919, for instance, 20 cities, uh, usually large urban areas, descended into race riots. So you have Chicago, Washington, D.C., Houston. Uh, it was actually called the Red Summer. Mm. Now, these riots were not black people protesting for their rights. These riots were white mobs who were perpetrating violence against black citizens. Mm. And because lynchings were going unpunished and other white, white violence was going unpunished, it gave whites permission to seek this action, this mob action. Which keep in mind, the reason these are going unpunished is because the whites are ruling these areas. Yeah. The government and the... Yeah, sheriffs, sheriffs police, yeah, officers, police officers, white. Yeah. Um, judges, district attorneys, white. Right. Uh, juries, white. So yeah, you've got all of that happening. And and so white people thought, well, we can get in mobs and we can do whatever we want. Right. We can we can perpetrate any kind of violence, you know, that we want. Um, another thing that was going on as blacks moved into the cities is they that they wanted to start changing the rules and customs um, of buying homes and real estate. Mm. And so government employees and real estate agents actively engineered neighborhoods and communities to maintain racial segregation. So so all of this is happening. Blacks move into the cities and then all hell breaks loose in the cities. Right. All because white people want to keep segregation and their way of life up front. Mm. We're going to bomb homes. We're going to lynch servicemen. We're going to get mobs together and go out and perpetrate violence. We're going we're gonna to work with government employees and real estate agents to make sure that, that white people get to keep their white communities and we move black people into their own areas. Mm. Um, and then what happened? So just imagine that. Just try to use your imagination to the chaos that's going on in the cities. Right. Then once World War I was over, immigration opened back up. Factories laid off the black workers to hire white hire immigrants. immigrants yeah. And that left the cities now. Remember, where, where did the white people go? Were the white people in the inner cities? No. Nope. They fled out. Suburbs, white yeah. flight. They left. Mm-hmm. Um, were jobs now being given to black people in the inner city? Mm-hmm. No. Um, are the real estate conditions good in the inner city? Mm-hmm. No. And what ended up happening 
is once you left off the once the black workers were fired from immigration, it left the inner cities black, poor, and jobless. Yeah. We now call them the ghettos. Right. Understand how the ghettos came to be. Right. Yeah. Understand how the ghetto actually got created. There, there are people today that look down on, on people that live in the hoods and the ghettos and things like that. And right. we agree. It's bad. It's, it's yeah. a really bad yeah, thing. We, we can talk about the drugs, the, the drugs that got pumped. There was a Nicaraguan drug war that was going on. Right. Drugs got pumped from Nicaragua into the inner cities. So guys that have no jobs. Right. Got no. Now the only thing they can do to feed their family is sell, sell drugs. Yeah. And that, and that doesn't give them the moral no. freedom to do that, but it shows you why all of a sudden, first of all, how do drugs get pumped in there? Get pumped right. in there. That's a right. whole different discussion. Right. How did that even allow that to, be, to happen? Yeah. But it got pumped in there, and, and so you have these poor, jobless black people, and one of the things that they did is they did, they did pick up selling drugs, yeah. and because it was either that or let my family go homeless right. and, and, and starve. And again, we, we say all that to say, you need to know how the ghetto and the inner city became the ghetto and inner city. Absolutely. And most people don't have a clue. Right. Um, but this is, the, this is the way that it happened. Um, and the church was a part of this. Yeah. Mark Mulder argues that white churches actively participated in racial relocation and in many cases, churches not only failed to inhibit white flight, but actually became co-conspirators and accomplices in the action. Man. Many churches, in, in many white churches, instead of ministering to the people that came in their community. Right. So let's say you were a white church in the city. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden now, you get this migration of black people into your city. Instead of staying there and ministering to the people that God put around you, those white churches packed it up and moved out into the neighborhood out and, of the neighborhood. And that's still happening today. Oh, it's yeah, it still happens today. Yeah. And and they relocated to the suburbs where what color of people were living? Mm-hmm. White people. Mm-hmm. So we can keep our church white. Right. We can minister to the people we're comfortable ministering to, people that are like us mm-hmm. instead of ministering to whoever God puts. And here's what's crazy. The great commission is to reach all people groups. Right. And here, people groups were moving to your city. Right. And all you had to do was love them and minister to them. And instead... Is it safe to say they weren't thinking rightly? They were not thinking rightly. They packed up their churches and moved them so they can continue to minister to uh, white people and, and leave the black people to minister to themselves. Now, during this period... Um during the period after the Great Depression, so now we're in the, the 30s, mm-hmm. segregation still going on. Black families um, are only getting homes in areas where black family, black people already are. Mm-hmm. Here's what was happening. The Homeowners Loan Corp was established in 1933 after the Great Depression. It was designed to purchase homes of people who were at risk of defaulting on their loans. Then they would issue new, issue new loans under new terms. Mm. But the racial demographics of the neighborhoods were taken into account and was the key factor in determining who would get to apply. Hmm. So if you lived in a black area and you were at risk of defaulting on your loan, the homeowner's loan corp 
was not going to give you a new loan. Right. So black neighborhoods and black areas were not privileged to the homeowners loan corporation like the whites were. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that would happen is they would actually color code maps. So they would take a map of the whole metro area and they would color code the maps. Safe and, safest neighborhoods were colored green. Riskiest neighborhoods were colored red. Mm. Any neighborhood that had a black family living in it, even if the residents were stable, middle-class income families, mm. were coded red. Yeah. And lenders were not going to give loans to those areas. And that's where we get redlining. That is where the phrase redlining comes from. Mm -hmm. If you were a black family and you lived in an area, your area would get coded red. Guess what would happen? No, no loans would be given. No buyouts of those loans would happen. And white people weren't moving to the red areas. Yeah. So again, you have government run and sanctioned business sanctioned segregation that is going on. Um, Redlining affected major cities, St. Louis, San Francisco, Chicago, Cincinnati, New York. Certain realtors, here's another thing that was happening. Certain realtors and neighborhood associations used private agreements called restrictive covenants, which provided legal race-based discrimination to allow only property to be sold to white people. Yep. So only white people got to buy the property. And th this, this was an agreement between realtors and neighborhood associations. Mm. Again, making the problem of inner cities, literally creating the problem right. of inner cities. Yeah. It was created. Yeah. It was a, it was on a, purpose. on purpose. Yeah. Poor inner city black communities were the victims of racism yeah. that created this horrible situation that even now at, you know, in 2020, we're dealing with the issues, um, that have come from that. Hmm. Uh, another thing, just talking about Christians complicit in, in this stuff, Christian colleges, uh, expressed racism schools like Pepperdine, for instance, they would allow African Americans, a certain number of African Americans to enroll, but they couldn't live on campus. Right. Um, all of this led up to world war II. Now, after World War II, discrimination doesn't stop. You mean to tell me it doesn't it just stop? It kept right there? going even after World War II. Um, here's just here's one example. Most of you have probably heard of the GI Bill. It, it still exists today, right. and the the GI Bill was designed to benefit soldiers that were returning from war. Mm -hmm. However, it often would not apply to African Americans. Right. Um, it would help. It was supposed to help vets reintegrate into society and into public life. They would give loans for owning homes. They would pay college tuition. They would help pay for health care. However, banks, for instance, would not give the same kind of loans to black vets as they would to white vets. Right. The VA even denied mortgages to black soldiers and funneled them into low-level training and education in order to give white vets the four-year colleges right. and not the African-American vets. Right. So these vets who went off and risked their lives in World War II mm -hmm. came back 
and did not get the same privileges and love and support from the government, from the banks, from the realtors, from their VA mm. that they that the white veterans got. Um, and again, here's my question. Where were all the professing white Christians during this time? Right. Like, where were they all when all of this was happening? Right. When, when this kind of wicked, satanic, mm. evil, demonic racism is going on and being perpetrated against image bearers of God, where was the professing white church? This is where we should have shined. Like, this yeah. is where, because we, we have it right. Yeah. The yeah. scriptures teach it correctly. The Bible and, told and, us like, exactly what truth. we're supposed to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. We oh, with truth. Why, why did we not... Take a stand. Right. right. And it's because wrong thinking. Yeah. Um, and again, just because they were professing Christians doesn't mean they were, they were Christians. That they had their hearts changed. Amen. You know, but. Say that again for the people in the back. Just because you were a professing Christian doesn't mean you had your heart changed. Yes. Um, so what was happening is, is that professing white Christians were either just going along with the culture. Right. They were just going along with what everything. Or in many cases, they were leading the way in this stuff. Yeah, they had a massive leading hand right. in white flight, a yeah. massing massive leading hand in not ministering to the people mm-hmm. around them and abandoning them and moving. And so, this is where looking back in history helps us so much. You know, I, I, I I'm always as we've been doing these podcasts, I've always been asking. You know, we've always been asked the question like, where was the white church? Where was the white church? Right. Where was the godly white people who could stand up for the victims that were, you know, that this was being perpetrated against? And time after time after time, what we have seen is that they simply weren't doing or being what they should have been doing and who they should have been being. So now we are in the 50s and 60s in the civil rights era. Uh, This was a time of great contrast between white Christian and black Christians and how they dealt with racial issues. Right. So Christian leaders within the black churches led the civil rights movement and saw drastic change in the U.S. These guys were actually making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. They were making moves and they were changing things. Yep. Unfortunately, the white evangelical world, in that world, the story's quite different. Uh, Some white Christians participated but there were very few evangelicals who took up the charge. And I think it's important for, for us to just emphasize that again. There were white Christian pastors right. who were standing hand in hand. They were there. In yes. the 50s and 60s. Right. But the vast majority mm-hmm. were not taking up the cause. Right. Uh, the vast majority were not dealing with the issue as it should have been dealt with. And they weren't just not dealing with it. Some of them were actually outright against it. And, yeah. and we're trying to keep the segregation as well. So, Absolutely. guys, get this. Christianity Today. That's which a big is magazine. A huge magazine. It's a big deal. Posted only a couple articles. They, they were quoted in saying this. We posted only a couple articles a year on these issues because we didn't want to give the impression that civil rights should be part of the Christian agenda. They believed, again, like we've kind of already hit on this in, in previous podcasts. Go back and listen. But... <laughs> That they said the Christian agenda is to only preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. 
And we're not going to deal with any of the fruit right. of it. We're only going to preach the gospel. And so this isn't a part of what we need to be about. Which is hilarious because that's not the gospel. Right. Well, and, and we hear that today, right? Right. Only preach the gospel. That's what we should all be yeah. you know, preaching. And what is always hilarious to me, this is just as a side note, right. is that when a pastor is telling people they shouldn't be involved in racial injustice yeah. specifics, mm-hmm. that they should just preach the gospel, right? Right. When that pastor is telling people that, mm-hmm. they're not preaching the gospel. Right. So just as a side, in order to tell me yeah. to stop doing a podcast, right? We should mm-hmm. be doing this podcast. We should just preach the gospel. Right. Have a podcast where the gospel is preached. But in order to tell me that, they have to stop preaching the gospel to do it. Right. And, and just a side note as well. Oh, a, a, second, lot of these a people, second side note. A second side note on top of your side note. <laughs> uh, a lot of these people are pro-life and they'll take stands for yes. that. Yeah, they'll talk about pro-life, but then when it comes to racial issues, it's just preach the gospel. So it's it's cherry picking what yeah. is yeah, very inconsistent. just preach the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that's just an excuse to avoid things at times. 100%. For sure. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. And... Um. Yeah, and it, it's problematic every time I hear it. Right, uh, it's problematic to me. Yeah. Hence the outsiders. Thing. Let's talk about MLK. Shall All we? right, let's do that. Uh, so, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is one of the most well-known civil rights leaders. We most love him of today. Us know him. He is very palpable to a lot of people today. Mm-hmm. We uh, celebrate his birthday. Kids get out of school. It's true. Uh, this is not the case back then. This, this is far from the case. Uh, first off, let me point out, 1963 is not that long ago. Right. So all these horrible things I'm about to talk about yeah. didn't happen Less not than 60 long years ago. ago. Yeah. So many people were alive. Yeah. Yeah. Like some of you listeners were alive. Yeah. You were alive when this was going um, down. So that's just a, a, a side yeah. note again. Yeah. Um, but yes, so King and his followers we're met with a massive amount of resistance. Mm-hmm. So even though he's palpable today, even though we, we love him today and we celebrate his impact and what he did in the world. Him. Yep. And in the country back then it was not the case. Yeah. He was met with a massive amount of resistance from government officials, police, and many other people during his peaceful, keep in mind, peaceful demonstrations, nonviolent, peaceful protest. Right. And so uh, the public safety commissioner at the time in Alabama, in Birmingham, uh, his name was Eugene the Bull Connor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a Democratic uh, commissioner. Yeah. And he was determined to stop these protests and had the support of the great majority of white residents and, get this, white evangelicals. Yeah. So, so think about it. They wanted these protests stopped. Right. Peaceful, constitutional protests they wanted them stopped right. and ended, and they were in full support of Bull Connor doing whatever he needed to do to get that accomplished. Right. So think about this. Dr. King is making moves. He's getting absolutely trashed. He's physically, his character's getting attacked. His motives are being questioned. And he, when he looks to what should be his ally, yep. which is the church, yep. they have turned his back yep. on them or are just straight up... Yep blatantly siding with the government. The white church, as you just said, who should have been the greatest ally to people fighting for racial justice, sided with the people that were attacking MLK. Uh, yes. Mm. Think about that. Yeah. 
So, okay. So because of all these consequences, I mean, people are being thrown in jail, they're beat, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Because protesters start dwindling, um, King enlisted hundreds of school children to keep these demonstrations going. And these these teenagers, I mean, young teenagers, these kids knew what was happening. Yeah. They, they knew 13 to 17 year olds, knowing exactly what was going to go down. And did it anyway. These protesters would gather around the local Baptist church and hear speeches from MLK, which yeah. he was a pretty good. Yeah, and he yeah, it was to inspire them and to remind them why we're doing this protest, why we're going to act in the way that we're going to act, right? Uh, as a way of kind of in, you know just moving on the the hearts and minds of the people that we're going to go protest. Right. So like a pep rally in a way, yeah, a little <laughs> like bit. Just kind of getting yeah, them up. Bit. Yeah. So on the second day of these demonstrations, guys, the second day. They turned extremely violent. Mm-hmm. Police turned high-pressure fire hoses on people. They set attack dogs on them. Mm-hmm. There, there were beatings. There were killings. People were spit on. There, uh, they lost their jobs. But yeah. King kept launching these protests because he was hoping that the backlash they received, which was tons of violence right. and yeah. horrible things, would alert the attention of his, what should have been, allies, white evangelicals. Yeah. Hopefully, our white Brothers and sisters will see what's happening to us and will come to our side, right. will come to our aid, will fight for us and with us. And there was crickets, still nothing, just a lot of backlash, right. not even crickets. They were against him. Yeah. Presidents turned black, blind eye, high government officials turned a blind eye Everyone. to it. Nothing that he was expecting to happen happened. He was hoping that they, the violence would be seen and action would be taken, and it did not. But again, pro- he probably expected that he probably not not from his brothers and sisters in christ but he probably expected that from the government officials yeah and the president and yeah. whatever else but when he turns to the body of christ and and is looking to like guys support and doesn't get like, it. what is this and has them be opponents of him is is just mm-hmm. it's wild uh in birmingham a council of white ministers including bishops and catholic methodist churches Jewish rabbis and uh, (laughs) Baptist pastors labeled King an outsider and an extremist. So Mm. this was not, he was not a popular dude amongst these people. He was, he was an outsider. He was an extremist. He was taking things too far. And, and, And think, just think about this. Because people viewed what he was doing as so extreme mm-hmm. and so wrong that a coalition of ministers who didn't see eye to eye on theology, right. Catholics, Methodists, Jewish rabbi, Baptist mm-hmm. pastors, because they they disagreed with, they were willing to come together in agreement right. to, to disagree with MLK. And dude, get this, they would preach sermons on this. They would preach messages on how segregation was one of God's universal laws. Yes, there there were... On Sundays. We actually have transcripts of pastors preaching on Sunday mornings about how segregation was one of God's universal laws and how God himself was one of the first segregationists. So now you're not only just rep, like misrepresenting that situation... You're misrepresenting God. Right. You're putting an attribute right. on God that is but, not But him, Tyler, I not thought, his character. I thought we were supposed to only preach the gospel. Only preach the gospel. 
right? Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's, it's true. we're only supposed to preach the gospel unless I want to get up in my pulpit and tell people that segregation is of God and that God is the first segregationist. Then I don't have right. to worry about preaching the gospel. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that you can probably see my sarcasm and, and yeah. anger. That's the kind of stuff that infuriates me because right. again, you are, you are using that when you want to use it yeah. to attack people. And, and yeah. not, not everybody does that, but it was certainly being used here in this time period for sure. Yeah. And and prominent evangelicals, dude, were, Billy Graham, were not on his side. Even even Billy Graham, who who a lot of us know and respect and love, and he led segregated crusades in the early forties and fifties. Yeah, in the forties and fifties. Right. He either would have one night that was just for white people, and mm-hmm. then the next night for black people, or he would make them segregate in two different areas. Right. To to hear. The, the revivals. Yeah. And so Billy Graham uh, is is falling prey to this kind of thinking that... Even Billy Graham. Yes. So, so yeah. don't think you're above it. <laughs> like yeah. Someone who he has did. done things, great things. Sure. Like Billy Graham can fall prey to this. Yeah. And so in his early years, like I said, he did not support MLK's protest. Mm-mm. He stated that he did not believe that white children and black children would walk hand in hand in Alabama until Jesus came back. So get this. He had he knew. He knew that they were equal. He knew black and white people are equal. But he's thinking from a government perspective and in in the world that he yeah, lived social, in, social they situation. will never be able to be hand in hand and walk the way they should in the new earth and the, yeah. the way they will in the new earth. Right. Um and, and let me just, as a side, um, those of you who have ears to hear, let let you hear what I'm saying. Let you hear. His eschatology, mm-hmm. his view of the end times, impacted that statement of whites and blacks not white and black children not holding hands in Alabama. Mm-hmm. It impacted it. Yeah. End of point. Okay. You'll probably get back on that a little bit later. Maybe. Uh- <laughs> Maybe not this podcast, but we will. We'll probably touch on it at some point. A little bit. All right, so New York Times article um, interviewed him, and and he he urged his friend mm-hmm. King, Doctor King. I think he he probably really loved MLK. pump the brakes. He that so in this he's saying you're going a little hard. Yep, you're going too far, Larry Martin. Like you're, you're, you're just going too far. I understand why you feel the way you do, but you're just going a little too hard. Yep. Again, peaceful protests. Yep. Like, let's, let's not separate from that. It was just the unrest that it was causing. Right. And Billy Graham thought the unrest um, was not necessary. And right. it would not lead to anything that MLK wanted. Yeah. And and we are, we're going to just kind of briefly talk about Graham and, and since he has repented. Um, but... There was an article on Religion News Service website... And it says that Graham's connections with the Republican Party troubled Martin Luther King. Yeah. And a whole generation of black people. Mm-hmm. Because these are the same parties that were led by the Reagans and the Goldwaters who were undermining the claims of civil rights. Yeah. And Gold- so working directly against yeah. what he was going for. And Goldwater, you can look it up. Goldwater said some pretty inflammatory yeah. public things. Right. Um, and... And so I think for MLK, seeing Graham kind of align himself with the Goldwaters of the world yeah. certainly, you know, caused 
MLK to have his heart broken, yeah. that Graham would stand stand with that, right? You know, and he, it's because he he saw it as undermining what he was trying to do, right? And, and it was, yeah, like, absolutely, it, yeah, it absolutely. absolutely was. And so, googling by, Barry by, Goldwater, googling by the grace of God in 1965, as we said, Graham repented. He he was greatly impacted right. by what he saw. He took a helicopter tour in Los Angeles. After the 1965 uh, riots, the Watts riots, yep. and one of the guys that were with him in, in the African-American event evangelist. Yes, I, I that's a tough word. That word up. I messed tough, that word up so much. It's a, a tough word. Evangelicist. Uh, evangelicist. That's that's so Reverend Ralph Bell yeah. was an evangelist. <laughs> He's an evangelist with the Billy Graham evangelistic e- Association, yeah. Yes, who accompanied him on the ride. I don't think he fully realized, this is a quote that Bell said, I don't think he fully realized the problems that the black community was having at the time and the hostility and the bitterness that was generated years before, the utter devastation and the pain. I think that gave him a good perspective, which that is the tour, the the helicopter tour, Mm -hmm. a good perspective on some of the problems that the nation was having. Yeah, he got to see it firsthand. So when he got to see it, and, and a lot of our listeners, and even you and I, Neil, when we got to see this, and when we've had mm-hmm. the privilege of of growing up with black people that are saying, like, hey, man, this is not right. This is not the same. Yeah. Then our hearts have been Your eyes get opened stirred. Up. Yeah. And then our thinking yeah. Yeah, you, change, yeah, right? You, yeah, you, you grow when you see people going through something, and it moves you to view a view a situation differently than you have before. In fact, in divided by um, by race, there's a or divided by faith, there's a, a a statistic that was done that said that if you have a close friend that is a minority, the you go from twenty percent believing in systemic racism mm. to eighty yep. percent. So if you don't have a close friend. said we have a systemic race problem. If you do have a close friend that's a minority, that number jumps to 80% that believe we have a systemic problem. So for Billy Graham to see it firsthand, right right next to a black man, and who knows what kind of conversations were being had there, then all of a sudden spiritual growth began to happen regarding civil rights. And Bell said that. He said, I saw spiritual growth in Graham. Yeah, and, and, he, and he changed his action. Right, he did. He repented. Yep, he repented. Yep. So Mr. Graham was a good man. This is another quote from Bell. Mr. Graham was a good man, a man of integrity, and didn't have a bit of prejudice in him. But I think when he came face to face with the national impact of the race relations in this country, it sharpened his perspective and his determination to do whatever he could to make an impact on civil rights movement and on race relations as a whole. Mm-hmm. That is why we do this podcast. Right. Well, and in, and Billy Graham, just to get specific about something he did, um, in the '60s he desegregated all of his again revivals. Change your thinking. Right. His heart, his heart was actions already changed change. by God. Now his mind gets changed. Now his actions get changed. Yeah, and that mind change had to happen in order for that to for that to change. And so we we don't say this to bash Billy Graham. We're not no. we're not sharing this to bash. Any, we're going to talk about um, if anything, the work of the Lord in Billy Graham yeah. is amazing. We're going to talk it's, about W. A. Chris in a minute too, and, and right. we're we're not bringing these 
these guys up to bash them. We're bringing them up as examples that here are men with new hearts right. for Jesus right. and got these things wrong. Yeah. And so we just want to make all of us aware that if Billy Graham can be wrong, right. Neil Sandlin can be wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so back to the demonstrations. Back to the demonstrations. That was, that was a long... That's all right. That's all right. That's important. That <laughs> so, was important. So when King got arrested for marching without a permit and white religious leaders denounced him, as you can imagine, he was frustrated. Yeah. And he wrote a letter from a Birmingham jail, and he did way better than I would have uh, mm-hmm. as far as controlling his emotions. It was still extremely... It was firm, for sure. It, it was firm, but it was still pretty well-mannered. Yeah, and it was, it was wrapped in love. And I would say... Yeah, written in... Uh, good it point. was written yeah. in love. The, the outside of his I'll Have a Dream speech... I think his letters from uh, a Birmingham, Birmingham jail, jail mm-hmm. is probably one of the most important things that he's written yeah. uh, and, and said and um, super powerful in addressing white, moderate Christians who he felt like had turned his back, their back on him. Right. You know? And check this out. So he, he wrote it on, and he's in a jail, so picture that. Mm-hmm. He's in jail. He wrote it on whatever paper was available, and when he ran out, he wrote it on toilet tissue. Yeah. Somebody else copied it for him later yeah. on paper. I mean, it, just the, the resiliency there and the, mm-hmm. the never quit, never yeah. give up attitude was just amazing. Yeah. And so, uh, But this was a letter he wrote, like I said, addressing fellow Christian leaders who turned their back on him. He challenged the complacency of these leaders. And like we said, it was well-mannered, but it was firm. Mm-hmm. I want to read a few quotes from this. Yeah, I think that's important. Read a, read a few quotes. Because if people have not read this, they don't really get the heart of what he was saying and how um, how hurt he was. Right. Yeah. And so, and so this is where that famous, famous quote that you see on t-shirts and caps and everything else, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Right. That is in the letter from Birmingham Jail. It, keep, mm-hmm. it continues. It says... We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, Mm. tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And that's such a beautiful quote because he's addressing the U.S. as a a unit, Mm. as being completely together. James Baldwin talks about this as well when he says, what's ever happening to the Negro in America is happening to all of America. The idea that we just break everything up, it's like, oh, no, that's happening to them. Right. And in that city, instead of having the attitude of, no, that happens to all of us. Absolutely. And that's happening not just to them, yeah. but to us as well. There's the us versus them right. attitude, right? If our oh, politics work like that today, that'd be amazing. Yeah, if, I, if our politics <laughs> was, I don't care who's fault it has been right let's fix it let's come together to fix it then we could actually get some some things done right our world would be different and and so he he's dealing with that in this quote he's dealing with the fact that listen what is happening to black people the injustice that is happening to black people right it's happening to white people because yeah. we're all we're, the united states the united of america, states of america. Yeah. and and that's what he's addressing in that quote, and I think it's just a, such a powerful, powerful quote, for yeah. sure. Well, you want another one? I got you another yeah. one, so check this out. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Mm. Mm. And that's what Billy Graham did. Right. Billy Graham... That was Billy Graham, yeah. ...repented of 
his appalling silence. Right. Billy Graham was a good man yeah. who missed it yeah. and had to repent of it and did. And because we always think about the overt hatred mm. as being the big problem. Right. But the truth is, as Billy Graham's going to say or on in that letter, it's not, it's not the hate right. that I get from the people that I know hate me that trouble me the most. Right. I think the biggest problem is when I don't hear anything from white Christians when I need them. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that's what he means by that, the repentance that's going to have to go on from good people. Yeah. Well, this, this last quote that I'll quote, uh, he said, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. Mm -hmm. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the KKK member, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice. He is, I mean, literally talking about the people and the government and... Mm -hmm the the pastors that should have had his back and that were committed to order but not to justice. Yeah. He continues, he says, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Mm. Who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods or direct action. Again, nailing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Who paternalistically believes that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Real quick, I'm going to pause there. Think about that. Think about white people saying like, no, you could just hold off. Yeah, you just wait a little wait bit longer. There and keep going through the horrible things that you're going through. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix it. You just got to wait until we fix it. He continues. He says, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. Yeah. And it's that idea of we expect that from them. Yeah. What are Why? Why from you? And I, my ally. I can feel his, his broken heart in that quote. Oh, man. I can feel his you know, the struggle that he has with saying, I'm to the point where I don't even think the KKK member is my biggest problem. Yeah, they're not even the biggest I problem. I think the white professing Christian is my biggest problem. Yeah. Man, I mean, that is such a, a, a statement that should break all of our hearts Amen. when we look back at what was, what was going on. You know, another man that is like Billy Graham in the sense that here's a man with a new heart um, is W.A. Criswell. This is a man right. who who loved Jesus, mm -hmm. who loved his church, first pastor of First Baptist Dallas, uh, he stated that desegregation is a denial of all that we believe and that the bra that Brown versus the Board of Education, which desegregated schools, mm -hmm. was foolishness. Mm -hmm. That's just a... Um, was a voice that so many other... was was an example of a voice of, of so many other Southern pastors who were preaching messages that aligned right. itself that way. Entire and these are prominent pastors. Yeah, and entire conventions were in agreement right. as to this Christian view of segregation. Christian schools, mm -hmm. a lot of Christian schools were started 
as to make sure that our precious white kids didn't have to go to school with the black kids. So we're going to start our own Christian schools to make sure that we can keep them away from the African-American kids. It was also during this time that Jesus began in mass scale being depicted as white. That's interesting. And this is important because if you're trying to promote segregation, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to say, we're going to keep our white people away from those black people, Mm -hmm. you can't have a brown Jesus. You can't have a brown Savior. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't have a brown Jesus. So you have to depict Jesus as white. Right. Because if you depict him as brown, then all of a sudden it's like, well, why are we worshiping a brown guy? Right. And, and, and we're staying away from brown people. And we're staying away from brown people. <laughs> right. Like, why? That doesn't even make any sense. And yeah. so they started to depict Jesus as white. And and here's a statement that I want to end with. You mean Jesus isn't white? He uh, No. White it, didn't even exist. What? Yeah. He was a Middle Eastern man. Wow. Um, all right. I want to I end with this statement in this historical segment. The white church was carried along in the civil rights era by the black church. They did not lead it out. Right. And for most, they were against it. Mm -hmm. They were led dragging, kicking, and screaming into proper civil rights and justice. Yeah. And, and they missed they missed that opportunity man that opportunity to come alongside black people yeah. and to fight for justice and equality may it never be said of white professing christians again in this country so we just went through the entire history it took us 3 podcasts to do 3 so. episodes 3 episodes uh, to do so, and just to let people know, if if you're if you're wondering, well, how come we're not doing one from the civil rights era to the present? That's what all the rest of our episodes are going to be about, right? That like that's what, that's what we're going to be talking about from here on out. So, right, you have the entire rest of the podcast to get that. Yeah. <laughs> so our application today is is you know we talked about how those things happen. We want to talk about how we can keep that from happening again, and and how. Yeah. How we can change. Yeah, if we if we want to say, may may the white professing Christians never again do what we've done in history, right. then we've got to be willing to change our minds about some things. Which is yeah, changing changing your minds. Yeah. And, which is su- which is super difficult. And and yeah. I th- I think this is important because mm-hmm. as we've walked through the history of all these things, we have seen laws being changed. Yeah. Right? Slavery ends. Yeah. Right? Then we then we have you know, reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Then we have, you know, the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. And so we see laws changing for the better. Right. But what we see racism, because it's a sin of the devil. 100%. The devil just adapts it to the next generation. Yeah. So it just morphs. It just changes. Right. It just adapts. And the devil refeeds it to us mm-hmm. looking a little bit differently. Right. And so what we have and to A little do, more hidden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's not as acceptable to be right, outright right. Racist. So he's got to hide it in order to be sneaky, to right. be a deceiver, which is what he is. So, so I think that when we look at how all these laws got changed, and then we see the devil always restructuring racism and representing mm. it, I think it's important for us to realize it is true. Laws never change hearts. Yeah, and that's why racism. The idea that racism isn't a big deal today right. is to assume 
well, we changed our laws, right. so hearts and minds got changed. Right. No. False. That's not true. Just because laws got changed doesn't mean hearts and minds got changed. That's never true. No, it's never <laughs> like true. It's never true. In history, that has not yeah, been the true. The law of God right. never changed anybody's heart. Right. Right? So what we have to do is we have to say, regardless of the laws that we have seen mm-hmm. transpire, yeah. what about my heart and what about my mind? Right. What what needs to change in my mind? Mm. What what things that do I need to think about that I haven't thought about before? Right. Are there ways that racism has been packaged and delivered to me that I've never seen? Yeah. That that I'm blind to right. and that I need to think about. I mean, again, it's like what we said. If it can happen to Billy Graham and W.A. Criswell, it can certainly happen to anybody today. Right. And so we've always got to be on alert. Yeah. Right. And be humble enough right. to say, listen, and courageous enough. Yeah. Humble no, it it and, takes courage. Yeah, yeah. Humble and courageous enough to right. say, I want to evaluate myself. And even if it rocks my world, even if it moves the foundation that I've been standing on, yeah. and even if I feel like it's going to make me unsafe, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Because it's right. Because it's the right thing to do. Right. And I will love God better and right. I will love my neighbor better. Right. And and that's I think, as I'm thinking about this, that's how, you know, when I'm kind of combining all three episodes yeah. and then today as we've talked about change, I think that's the direction that, that I know I need to go. And and we serve a and God who rewards faithfulness. With yes. with that kind of heart yeah. that is, you know, I will change and I will love my brothers and sisters no matter what yeah. that means, Yeah, God honors that. Yeah, because I, I don't want it to be said, again, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I don't want it to be said of me yeah. um, by my grandparents that, I mean, by my grandparents, by my grandkids, <laughs> that I didn't, I wasn't willing to change my mind on stuff. Yeah. That I wasn't willing to evaluate my own heart right. and get involved where I saw injustice. Yeah. And me be lumped in with those in our past who haven't done what they should do. Right. And so I just think we all ought to um, be humble enough and right. be courageous enough to to be willing to change. Absolutely. So if you have been, uh, stuck with us for these first four podcasts, thank you so much. Right. Um, keep Keep sharing it, reviewing it, subscribing, being faithful to listen. Um, that email is, us, message us, get get a hold of us if you have questions. Or absolutely. If you, if you want to discuss some things or if you have questions about things, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or Twitter account and, uh, and let us know. Um, we want to be a, a help and a resource in any way we can. So we are the Outsiders. This is the end of episode four. We're going to be moving into some new stuff yeah, after we are. this, and we are excited about it. So until next time, we'll see you.